but doesn't it just feel like everything's different? <laughs> Everything has changed. Entirely brand new. I feel like my beard's going to fall off. It's just amazing. <laughs> I'm ex I don't know what that sound was, but I'm excited about it. Um, the sound of your beard falling off. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. Do you guys, we don't need to tell your neighbors, but anyone do New Year's resolutions? No one, just me. Cool. All right, so, well, I'm going to tell you what I did for my New Year's resolution, although I didn't officially state it, but maybe this is encouraging to you. So for me, one of the things I evaluate at the start of a year is I knew I wanted to try to go deeper in my faith, um, and maybe that's something you can relate with, and you're just shy about raising your hands. That's all right. Um, but one practical way, and I want to encourage you with this, is, and, and you can actually hold me accountable, is I want to, I'm gonna, I want to encourage you, and I'm going to try to be using a physical Bible uh, a little bit more often. And my reasoning is this, not because a physical Bible is any more spiritual than, or holy than the words on your Bible app or the words that are on the screen, and I still encourage you to use those, but when you, a physical Bible is something that, it's a, it's a, a, it's a psychological thing. You hold something, and it reminds you that you're doing something that's important, and it slows you down just a little bit. Um, Spiritual growth is probably the slowest growth of all, uh, even though little kids probably just disagree that all growth is slow. But spiritual growth occurs across a whole lifetime, and, and it's slow. But when we hold physical things, it helps us remember and focus into some of those slow things, which helps us then to grow and to lean into that more. So I'm going to bring physical Bibles. I encourage you to bring them to church, to use it. Just find a favorite Bible and go with it. We're still going to have words on the screen. Use your phone if that's your way. That's, that's fine. Um, but it just might be something to, it might just be something that helps pull us out of the speed of using our phone and all the distractions and help us slow down and remember the importance and the holiness of God's word for us. That being said, let's take a couple minutes now and slow down ourselves. Maybe close your eyes. Take some very purposeful, slow inhales. Breathe it out slowly. Inhale deeply. Let's just take a couple seconds here of silence to prepare ourselves for worship. Will you stand and join us in worship? Friends. 
worship our wonderful Savior, the one who invites us. Oh, what a Savior, isn't he wonderful? Sing hallelujah, Christ is risen, bow down
Father, thank you that you have made us your children. Thank you that you invite us into brotherhood with Christ. Thank you that you are renewing each of us in our hearts and minds to become more and more the people you've created us to be. Help us to lean into that and to seek you. Soften our hearts to be responsive to what it is you're doing. Open up our eyes to see how you're moving in this world and open up our ears to hear your voice speaking to us. We thank you for our church. We thank you for Heart Awake. We pray for our celebration and fusion that they may be edified this morning in their worship of you and that they may experience deepening faith in you. And we pray that for ourselves here at Watershed. We also pray that here at Watershed that we will be a community of believers, that our friends, our neighbors, even our enemies will see and they'll see you in us and that they'll be drawn to you, not to any cool things that we maybe try to do, not to music, not to great preaching, not to hanging out in the gym. Lord, may they be drawn to you. May the world be drawn to you and may your people be the light to the world. So thank you for a new year. Thank you for a chance and a, way, and a, and a reset for ourselves. Even though it's just another day, we recognize that we can reset things and embrace the fact that you are making all things new. So help us to live into that. Help us to be your people us in your name. Amen. You guys can be seated. Morning. Happy New Year, as Zach said already, but it's my turn, so yay! Happy New Year. And yeah, I don't know, I'm never somebody who, as the New Year turns, I'm like, all right, gonna have a whole new year. No, like, new day. Uh, every day is a gift, and I'm going to take it as it comes. And uh, so I hope that, yeah, this is a better year for all of us. I know we've faced an interesting 2020, but if you want to call 2020 a dumpster fire, that's up to you. Um, hopefully that fire is burned out. Um, we've got some residuals, but uh, no, each day is a new day, and it is a gift that we have to be able to live, to breathe, uh, to be able to be here today to, to worship, uh, to see each other's faces, see some smiles, um, to, to just be able to tune in even via technology online. So again, I'm Aaron, uh, interim, I, I guess I could say long-time-term interim pastor of Watershed. Um, but uh, no, we are uh, in this new year, we're getting started on a series, but I want to thank Tierra. she's probably not watching because she's working, um, but Tierra Marshall preached last week and uh, did a phenomenal job and had a chance to talk to her as she was getting ready, and um, it was because the text she had picked and the text that we were using to get started were like married together, and so in some ways she started the series last week, didn't really know it, um, but I'm going to jump off of her lead, and if you didn't have a chance to, to hear her, I'd encourage you to go back and watch it um, online, and uh, just she had some good words for us. I'll, I'll refer back to some of those, but uh, if you didn't watch it, don't feel like you're going to be lost, because uh, we are. We're starting a new series, Surprise, You Belong, uh, and, and as Bill and I have been thinking about and preparing for this series, we've been thinking about the time of Christmas and Epiphany, these seasons that are after Christmas, over the New Year's, and up until Lent, uh, is a season where we think about stories of Jesus and who Jesus was, what he did. And one of the things that we're going to focus on throughout the next six or seven weeks is, is the fact that Jesus brought in a unique group of people. They surprised the world in who belonged uh, to him. He surprised the people around him, especially the religious, by who he decided to associate with and be friends with. Today we're going to actually talk about this core group, the disciples, the 12, who, if you were starting a movement, I don't think you'd grab these 12 uh, to start a movement, to start a business, to maybe you'd get some of them, not all of them, but nonetheless, um, it is interesting who Jesus, and Jesus continues to say, you know what, you belong. That throughout this series, 
want you to hear this, whether you're here this morning, whether you're at home, whether you dive in one week and, and aren't here for another, I want you to hear over and over again the message of Jesus saying, you belong. And, and my hope is that you're going you're gonna to be surprised at the ways that that message and that truth comes out. Now, the interesting thing about this, when we sort of put it all together, I, I realized, oh, wait, we've been putting these words up underneath watershed and what we're all about, right? That, that you matter, you are loved, you belong. That no matter where you've been in your life, no matter where you are currently, that in Christ, this is the first and most important piece, that in Christ, to God, you matter, you are loved, and you belong. That that is the gospel message. That's what we're all about here. That's what we want to be about. This is a vision then for how we can live. Are we God? No. So we're not really good at this sometimes, <laughs> right? We, this is our goal, that we treat each other in, in such a way that says, you belong here. You matter to us because you matter to God. That this is something we strive for, we hope for. But this isn't new for Watershed in particular at Heart of White. This has been part of our DNA for 21 years, going back to the very inception of Watershed for those who've given up on church and not necessarily on God. And, and, and as we went through Trent's ministry and transitioned into John's ministry, John, John would say a lot, right, this, and, and it popped up on the screen often when you saw Watershed, come as you are. Right? There's always been this mentality and a DNA here in this community of people that says you're welcome as you are. Not as you should be, not as we think you should be, not as someone where you will be 20 years from now. No, you're welcome to be a part of this family because God welcomes us as we are. Surprise! There is actually a group of people that will accept you for who you are. Not just kind of puts up with you until you become something we think you should be. What this has led to uh, watershed becoming is oftentimes an island of misfit toys. And I'll go back to Trent's time. And if you were here when Trent Walker was pastor, and Trent, if you don't know, he was our, our um, planting pastor of watershed, but he would love to say, nobody wants a Charlie in the box, right? <laughs> when we say come as you are, when we say you matter, you are loved, you belong, when we say, man, that this, this God in Christ does that and he brings us all together, we have a, a really interesting crew of people. We named the, I, I named the title of the sermon this morning a motley crew, right? That we have many different people, stories, uh, backgrounds, ideas. But the reality is God brings us together in his love, through his life in Christ Jesus. That's why our values, I want to bring up some of our values at the new year. Sometimes it's good to reflect and look back. But these values have been here for 21 years. These values of journey, we're all on a journey. Zach actually alluded to that a little bit this morning, even with our journey with God, our journey with one another. But we're all on a journey at different places, right? We're all in a different spot, and so we want to be a community that welcomes each other because God is a, is a God who welcomes us where we are and continues to walk with us. And, and we want you to be who you are, right? Authenticity. That I am who I am. I, I like Argyle V-neck sweaters. I have a whole bunch of them, and I'm going to wear them this winter. But I still got my jeans and my tennis shoes, so don't worry, right? <laughs> but if you want to wear sandals, wear sandals, right? <laughs> no. But more importantly, be who you are, right? Authenticity and transformation. Not only are we on a journey, but we, leave, we believe that the gospel changes our lives. We believe that Jesus brought his life into our lives to transform us, to change us, to rescue us, to give us new life. We believe that the Holy Spirit is, is part of that role and gives us each unique gifts and talents. That It's not just about a community we are on a Sunday morning but we're, we're a community that's sent out into the world and Christ empowers us by his spirit to, to be electricians, to be moms and dads, to be students, to be co-workers, to be owners, to be, you, you name it. Right? That, that the spirit empowers us not only to serve one another, but to live and serve in this world. And finally, we believe in multiplication. Right, that, that this God who says, you belong to me, that if, it's, if we really believe that, we see that transformation, it's good news. Right? It's good news we want to share with others. It's good news we want to show 
to others. It's good news we want to live with others. Well, how do we come to all of this? And, and I'm coming right back to the series. It's not disconnected. It's not just a time to say a bunch of words. No, where did we come up with this? Where did this come from? Well, I think, again, it goes back to Jesus in this collection of disciples that he gathers around himself. So I want to invite you uh, to open up your Bibles, follow along with us, and, and we'll hear God's word this morning. We're going to go to Mark. So in the New Testament, uh, Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. Mark is the second book. Mark chapter 3, we hear this. This is the story of Jesus' disciples. Mark 3, starting in verse 13, Jesus went up on a mountainside, and he called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. And these are the 12 that he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, to them he gave the name Boanerges. There's always fun names in the Bible. Which means sons of thunder. What you'll realize with James and John is like brothers. They, they have a, a, a tendency to have an explosive personality, maybe, uh, with one another. But uh, Andrew, Philip... Bartholomew, Matthew, who we'll also hear this morning, Levi is his name. Matthew, Levi, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Right? These were Jesus' disciples. And this crew was a unique crew, and I think we have a good sense of what this crew looked like when we jump back to Mark chapter 2. Verse 13, we hear this. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus. So Levi, who is Matthew, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Now when the teachers of the law who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his, his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Well, on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we think about the disciples, we think about who Jesus is gathered around at Matthew's table, Levi's table, tax collectors, sinners. It's certainly a motley crew, and no, I don't mean this motley crew. Now granted, if Jesus was in the 80s, I'm sure he would have partied with them and hung out with them. Now, as we see about Jesus, uh, his version of partying was hanging out with them, uh, maybe wasn't getting quite as carried away. But nonetheless, you know what? And he'd probably hang out with them today because as some of you know, Motley Crue is still going. So, but, you know, Jesus gathered this, this crew. I want to I I look back just a moment at Mark 2 and I highlight for you how many times it just says, what? Many tax collectors and sinners. This was who Jesus hung out with. These are the kind of people Jesus associated with around a table. First off, at the table, table fellowship was a sign of friendship. It was, table fellowship was a sign of intimacy and life together. It wasn't just quick grabbing a bite at McDonald's. <laughs> it was saying, I'm going to share my life with you and let you share your life with me. Now, the thing about it, and, and Tierra spoke to this last week, I won't dive too much into the, the life of a tax collector, but, but I will we'll touch on it for a moment. Levi Matthew being a tax collector was sort of like um, a toll booth operator who would tax you as you went from one region to the next or would tax you on goods and services. Matthew, Levi, would work for, he was a Jew who worked for the Roman government. Now, uh, I don't know about you, but if I was a Jewish person under Roman occupation, I don't know if I would like people working for the people who are occupying our land, one. 
right? And then on top of that, a tax collector would take a little bit more off the top to have a tendency to go, you know what? Uh, and, and the Roman government knew this and understood this too because that's kind of how they made their living. So they'd get to extort you a little bit at the same time of grabbing the taxes for the government that you can't stand, right? Getting a picture. Well, as Tierra mentioned last week, and I'll, I'll say again, to, to sit and dine with a tax collector was like spitting in the face of, of the Jewish culture as well as faith. To the religious leaders, you would be impure. See, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, oftentimes I think sometimes we call them hypocritical when the reality is they're more hypercritical. <laughs> they were people who were devoted to God and purity, trying to live their lives in a God-honoring way trying to live rightly before a God who they believe actually loved them. And that the law of God was given so that they might please this God who had rescued them all the way back from Egypt. Like, this is their story. This is the God who would rescue them. This was the God who would rescue them from Babylon. As Months ago, we kind of went through that series in, in Daniel. This is a God who was for them and not against them. And so, if a tax collector was impure and they're about purity, they've got some issues, right? And they believe that if you ate with someone, that actually kind of picked up their impurity. So if you were around them, that their impurities rubbed off. And there's actually passages in the Old Testament that say, be careful about the friends, the people you associate with, because those people can influence you. Now what the Pharisees and the religious leaders didn't understand was that the God of the world wasn't going to be influenced. He was going to himself influence. That in the face of these sinners, those who were impure, the tax collectors, this God would share fellowship with them. He would share one of the most intimate acts of life with them. Because to them, Right? He was showing his grace and his mercy, his unmerited favor, that unearned favor that is grace. Did they know this? Absolutely. Because nobody else was going to welcome them at their table. Did they understand this? Absolutely. Because no rabbi would ever invite them to follow Nonetheless, in the rabbinical school, you would seek out the rabbi when that time came, when you reached your 30s and you were hoping to be the Talmudim. If, if you actually had grown up in the ranks of schooling and you had become wise enough and, and you've kind of checked the marks, because everybody learned about the law early on, but only the best and the most elite finally got invited by the rabbi. Very few, actually, I mean, would approach the rabbi and then the rabbi would say, yes, select them. But very few ever moments and times would there be a rabbi who said, actually, you follow me. But here we see Jesus doing this. Not just to tax collectors and sinners, but to his disciples. I want to go back to this list of names. I don't know how often that we actually focus or think about the names of the disciples. These people that Jesus shared life with, started a movement with. Twelve is very symbolic. Twelve goes back to the twelve tribes of Israel. That God, in choosing Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, chose them and then the twelve to be his, his mouthpiece, his life on earth. Not only to show his love to them, but to influence and bring life. And here Jesus, in choosing the twelve, is making the same kind of statement. But who were these guys? Well, Philip and Andrew, they were fishermen. And most likely, Philip and Andrew ran just a little small business fishery, a little family fishery. And then you got James and John, the sons of Zebedee, the sons of thunder. Well, their father, Zebedee, owned a little bit larger fishing agency, according to church history. He had actually servants. And so he, you would think that they kind of ran more of a commercial fishing fishery. So you got sort of small business, big business. Right, you got brothers, that in itself. How many of you are going to start a, start a business with family? Yeah, that's dangerous. <laughs> well, you got, a, you, got, you got some fishermen, though. You got small business, you got big business. Then you got Philip, he was probably a fisherman. And then 
You have this guy, Bartholomew, who is also named Nathaniel. Well, Bartholomew has an interesting story because he's the son of Ptolemy. And in church history and and throughout biblical history, this goes back all the way to the day where um, his ancestor was the king king, uh, called Geshur. And you go, huh, what? And I was like, yeah, huh, what, too? Um, But thankful there's a lot of smarter people than I who can point this out. But King Geshur uh, was a king whose daughter... Um, ma, again, fun names. Like you think you got it midweek, and then you step up here, cameras on you, and you can't. Ma, Maka uh, is about as close as I can come. But it was one of David's wives, whose son was Absalom. So if you get back in the story in in Samuel, you'll hear David's life in in the Old Testament, and you'll hear of his son Absalom. So Bartholomew actually has this long line. Of, of royalty. So he comes not from poverty. He most likely came from a well-off family with connections, um, with money, because those things passed from generation to generation. So you got Bartholomew. You got Matthew, Levi, who we just heard. He's a tax collector who would have worked for the Roman government to the Jews looked like a sellout. Well, herein lies an interesting problem because then there were at least three disciples who were strong Jewish, Jewish nationalists. Hmm. Uh, they were zealots. Uh, some of them were actually quite violent. Um, Thaddeus, or Jude is another name for him, uh, church history believes that he was actually the equivalent of a Jewish terrorist to the Romans. So anytime he could come into life and mess with the Jewish, the Roman government, uh, he would. So how do you think, I wonder what those conversations around the table looked like between Matthew, who is Levi, and uh, Jude. And then his brother, James. And then on top of that, Simon the Zealot. Interesting. It, it, I, I put it like this. Imagine President Trump and Nancy Pelosi celebrating Christmas together, playing games on the same team. (laughs) Hard to imagine. (laughs) But this is the reality. So you got this small business owner, big business owners. You got family. You got married. Peter was married. We hear that in Mark. We we hear of Jewish nationalists. We we hear of uh, people who would serve the Roman government as Jews. And then you have Judas, who, by the way, throughout this, their time together as disciples, would, would take money from the kitty of the disciples. And it says that Jesus kind of knew this and understood it. And, and he was the only one who wasn't Galilean. He came from the area of Judea. So, uh, like, this is a really motley crew group of people. These are not people that you normally would associate a movement with, right? This is not the kind of people. These were tax collectors and sinners. These were who the righteous thought were outsiders and didn't belong. And yet, for some reason, when Jesus starts his movement to share his life, to share the goodness of grace, he chooses this hodgepodge, motley crew of people to come around a table to share life together. And then to change the world. Right, that's, that's the tension for me. I don't know if that's a tension for you. But man, if, if you were starting something new. If you were starting a new business. If you were starting a movement. If you were starting something that had a, such deep importance. Would those be the people that you would pick? Right? The outsiders. The, the, the outcast. The sinner. The, the person who didn't belong. And with that, how does Jesus' choosing of these different people this morning make you think about yourself and others? Right? Because the religious, so man, if, if you follow our operation, if you follow the law, and if we're going to teach you and train you to follow it to a T, that listen, you can't even, you got to be careful of who you share a meal with. Actually, Tierra shared some of these words. I, I don't have them up on screen, but this was some of the rabbinic wisdom of the day, some of the rabbinic commentary on the Old Testament. If, um, from 
a commentary on Exodus. It says, not, let not a man ever associate with a wicked person, not even for the purposes of bringing him near to the Torah, not even for the purposes of bringing him near to God and his law. Don't associate with, with a wicked person. Another place it says, keep thee far from an evil neighbor and consort not with the wicked and lose not belief in retribution. <laughs> right? Don't associate with them and don't lose your belief that God will judge them and bring his punishment. And yet Jesus, the God of the world, comes into the world and says, you know what? I came not for the healthy, not for the righteous, not for those who can check off the boxes today knowing they've done everything right. No, I came for the sick. I came to the sinners. His mission was this, to call those who he wanted. The good news is Jesus loved, the, God so loved the world, right, that he gave his son. That Jesus' call was to each and every one of us. See, the religious didn't understand what brought them and made them a part of God's family. They thought it was them when in all reality it was a God of love. The choosing of the original 12 in the Old Testament was of God's grace and God's choice. Not because Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then all the sons of Jacob got it right. No, it was because God chose them out of all the nations of the world to show his light and his life. And in the same way with the disciples, in the same way today with us, God is saying to each and every one of us, you belong. I want you. He gathered these disciples around his table, joins us at our tables, bringing us to his, transforming our tables into his tables. Why? Because we're ones that he wants. Outsiders, outcasts, people with a past, people with a record, people today who still don't have it right, who make mistakes, people who are on a journey, aren't there yet. Not only that, that we are what he wants, but then we are the people that he wants to work through, that he wants to be with him and show his life through. Why? Because if we look at Matthew 9, verse 13, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. In Matthew 9, this is the story of Mark 2, Matthew, Levi's story just told by Matthew himself. And he recalls Jesus saying, yeah, I, I didn't come for the sick, or for the, for the righteous, for the healthy, but I came for the sick. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Well, the interesting thing is, those who hear those words, follow me, the, the motley crew that are the disciples, those who are on the outside, when you know you're on the outside, you know you're on the outside. I don't know about you, but I, I still today, I look in the mirror and I struggle each and every day with being identified by the sin in my life, the mistakes I make my past and my present. I still struggle with an identity that gets wrapped up in, in, in my goodness and how good I can be and what I, if I followed all the rules today, if I didn't even say a bad word and I got to watch out if I give my daughter a penny because of that bad word. I don't, she really worked out a bad deal. A penny. She's got a penny jar. I was like, fine, I'll do a penny. That's good. <laughs> right, but I struggle with that. I, I, but, but here's the thing. Knowing that God invites me to his table, knowing that God says to me, follow me, knowing that God says that to each of us, when we understand mercy, and mercy isn't just great. Grace is this unmerited favor, right? Jesus comes to us. God comes to us. It's unearned. But mercy is holding back what we do deserve. It's withholding a punishment. It's going, yeah, you deserve to be kicked out. You deserve to stay where you are. You deserve to not belong. And mercy goes, mercy blows that up and says, even though that's what you deserve, you're mine. And I'm with you. I want to be with you. See, it's the disciples. Why does Jesus start a movement with these disciples? These kinds of people? People like me? Maybe people like you? Well, it's because people who know mercy, people who know God's grace, show grace and mercy, right? We know we were on the outside looking in, 
We know what that feels like, and, and, and we, we want to extend it to others. We know what it's like to be alone. We know what it's like to make mistakes. We know what it's like to be judged by those mistakes. We know what it's like to not, not fit in, not look the part, not act the part, not do the right thing. But see, when Jesus wants to communicate grace and mercy, he takes the worst of us even and transforms us. We're not talking even about Paul now. Paul was one of the apostles added later. And Paul goes, man, I was the religious of religious. So we got the hodgepodge motley crew that was the disciples we have. But then you get Paul added onto it. He was religious elite. He was both Jew and Roman citizen. He was the Pharisee of Pharisees. And he was a murderer. He murdered Christians. And yet when he saw Jesus and met Jesus, it changed his life. When he saw grace and mercy, it moved him to live, to breathe. You know, all but one of these disciples died a martyr's death. All but one. And the one who didn't, John, died in a, on an island in prison. I don't know about you, to die a martyr's death means that I believe wholeheartedly what I'm living, right? I believe the truth that anchors my life. I believe and trust. There's, you, can, you can take everything, including my life, but you cannot take that love of God from me. This is how Christ changed the world. He took people like you and I who need grace, who need mercy every day, showed it to them. Allowed him to be around him. I think, think about this. He knew Judas would betray him, and yet he spent three years with Judas by his side. Even somebody who would sell him out in the end for a, a different agenda. And yet, God would continue to show his love. Christ would continue to keep him at a table. I wonder if it was just because he believed wholeheartedly in the power of love. The power of that grace and mercy to change someone, to transform someone, to show us that there isn't a person Jesus won't share life with. So my question for us this morning is this. How does knowing that God wants to be in relationship with you and wants to share this good news to others through you impact your life? That if the disciples are like us, if we're like the disciples, if we're the tax collectors and sinners, that even the righteous are lumped in that group because their self-righteousness, and Jesus will go out throughout his gospels and help them see, your self-righteousness isn't even enough. What brings you in is me, Jesus said. I wonder what that impact means because Jesus then uses his disciples to impact and influence the world. And Jesus wants to use ordinary people like you and I who, who know his extraordinary grace and mercy to touch the lives of others. To those we live with, we work with, we play with. Right, last week, Tierra used uh, an acronym. And she's right, it came from... Uh, a, a church in Illinois, and uh, it's something that our church, Maplewood, talked about six years ago. It's something that I brought up on the last sermon of, that I preached at Maplewood, um, but I believe in wholeheartedly to bless. It goes back all the way to Abraham, that we were blessed to be a blessing in this world. And, and she shared just a, a few simple words of what that acronym means, bless, begin with prayer. That nothing, no, no bit of what we can do, and we hear this in the disciples' lives, can ever, no life can change, nothing, nothing can happen without prayer. You know, who are we praying for in our lives? Who, who are we on our knees for? Who are we thinking about regularly and, and offering up before God? But not only do we begin with prayer, but we learn to listen because people need others to listen in their lives. Right? Need, need for us to hear their stories. As Jesus would sit around tables, he would hear stories. He would know their lives. He didn't just jump in with an agenda. But he'd listen. He ate with them. He played with them, right? They, they shared life together. That's the eating, the E. Who is it in our lives that we share some intimacy with? Serve, S. 
Who can we serve? How can we serve? Who are the people in your lives? To serve can mean something as simple as a phone call. It can mean, I think Tierra used the example of if you're, if you're doing a shipped order and you know somebody next door, you've got some maybe elderly neighbors or something like that. Hey, how can I get this for you? Who, who can you serve? And then when you share stories, the final S, you've already have listened and shared life. And so maybe your stories make a little more sense because you've heard where others are at. Right, a simple acronym, but yet a profound way that we can live, we can show up and let God's life show through us. Because the disciples, if we read the book of Mark, the rest of the book of Mark, uh, Mark in, in particular ha- makes the point that these disciples stay pretty, uh, pretty much a motley crew. <laughs> that Peter will make mistakes, he'll, the minute he steps out on the water, he, he takes his eyes off of Jesus and sinks. That James and John, yes, they fight over who can sit next to Jesus in the kingdom to come. That Judas, we hear already, is a betrayer. Everyone, by the time Jesus comes to his last supper and goes to a cross, very few of them are hanging around that cross because they chickened out and ran away. And yet, this is the motley crew. Ordinary people who... We see succeed and fail, but motivated by grace and mercy each day to live, breathe, to show love. I want to end with just one story from Acts 4. I think it illustrates really well what we're talking about today. It says this in Acts 4, Jesus is the stone. There's a, Peter and John have just performed a miracle. And uh, he's talking to the religious leaders because they are putting them on trial because anything having to do with Jesus is, is an affront to the religious system. And they say this, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. He's the cornerstone of our lives. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. But look at the emphasis I put here on verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized what? That they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. What do we hear back in Mark 3, Mark 2? That Jesus gathered those he wanted around him to be with him. That this came out of their lives. Not only that did it come out of their lives, but listen in verse 14, but since they could see the man, now they had seen now this, this work that they had been empowered by this God to bring, but they, since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. They could see that these disciples, these ordinary people, these people who were certainly surprised when Jesus said, follow me, <laughs> That they would drop life, they would reorient their life, and they would, they would start this journey with Jesus. This motley crew. When they heard that they belonged, they joined in, they jumped in. And what happened? They saw then that life work in and through them in the world that is around them. And that same truth is true for us today. That no matter where you are, no matter where you've been, you matter you are loved, and you belong in Christ Jesus. As a community, we're going to try to do the best we can to exhibit that. We're going to fail, like the disciples failed Jesus, but the reality is our failure doesn't mean Christ has. Christ is true to his word. Christ seeks to gather us at his table and will continually reach out to us, will continually invite us to follow him over and over again, and he promises then to empower us to share that same grace and mercy to others. And it's when we share that grace and mercy that we start to see a kingdom that had begun in Christ Jesus come on earth as it is in heaven. Praise God that he's chosen you, he's chosen me. Surprise, you belong. Whether you knew it or not, whether it's just a reminder today, you belong. You belong to Christ. And you belong to his body. With its many different ideas and opinions, many different beliefs and backgrounds, many different leanings, <laughs> tendencies, many different sins <laughs> and brokenness. But you belong 
to a God who brings life and changes lives. Praise God. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you have invited us into life and into your life. We thank you that you uh, don't come for those who have it all together. Don't come for the religious, the perfect. Lord, that you uh, extend your grace and mercy to every person who needs you. And that's all of us. Because we don't realize how deep our sin goes. We don't realize how deep brokenness, the brokenness of the world affects us. We don't realize the systemic problems. We don't realize our own problems. Lord, sometimes we just, some, some days, we just don't even know. And yet the reality is, you say to each one of us, follow me. You gather those around you whom you want. And because you love the world, it's all of us. So Lord, help us see that. That we have been invited to your table this morning. That you have invited us into the most intimate life with you. And that God, in knowing your grace and mercy, you've also empowered us by your spirit to share grace and mercy with others. To love our neighbor as ourselves. That when we know that grace and mercy, when we know where we've been, where we know, when we know where we are, when we know how deep your love goes, God, we actually, what starts to work in us is a transformation that says, man, I can't help but love those who are like me and different than me. Can't help but reach into their lives, share the same good news. So Lord, help us to live that good news out with our friends and our family over Zoom calls and conversations, Lord, as students go back to school. Lord, as we share that life with our neighbors, may we share that grace, that mercy. But again, thank you for joining us to your table and bringing us to your life. We pray these things and certainly many more prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. Can you stand and sing with us? We're going to join in the song with, with the Motley crew around the world of God's uh, chosen people. Love never ends. 